1: The voting process here in the United States has come in uh, come under a bit of fire in the last couple of decades. It really started in 2000 when we had the proverbial hanging chad. Then rumors of tampering and other elections have cast a shadow of doubt over the process. And that's why innovation in the system is more important than ever. A new report by Wharton's Public Policy Initiative looks at the state of the industry. Wharton professor Lauren Hitt led the research he joins us in the studio as does uh, Matthew Caulfield who is uh, one of the students a PhD student who is a uh, part of the research team involved in this project great to have you both here thanks for coming in thanks for having us no, thank you, thank you. Uh, for each of you what was it that really drew you to doing the research on this Lauren
2: I'll start with you it, it's really been something that I, I was part of my senior year actually here at Wharton um, in undergrad And uh, I found the intersection of policy and business uh, so um, poignant in this particular project. You have voting technology, which is the bedrock of our democracy, and also this sort of business uh, aspect where it's provided by a private sector industry. Lauren?
0: Yeah, and as well, it's a it's a sector where technology has the potential to create a lot of value, and that's been the focus of my research for for a very long time. And thinking about how technology can drive innovation is uh, sort of a core part of what we do here. And uh, interested in getting involved in that where it can make a big impact.
1: So, what is it? What do you think the state of the voting system, Matthew, is right now in the United States?
2: Sure. Um, well, this the, this the current state was really profiled by a recent report by the Brennan Center um, that. Basically said there's a crisis in voting technology that across the world, uh, across the country, uh, voting technology is literally falling apart. Um, County uh, officials are driven to buy parts from Japan online to get replacement parts because they're just no longer provided for their current election technology. And they're trying to suck the money uh, out of state and, uh, uh local governments in order to actually buy new technology so it, it's really in a sorry state right now
1: what's the uh, explain the overall process that you and your students went through to, to put
0: this research together or so we started out uh, just trying to compile compile some basic facts about the industry one of the challenges has been in this industry is they're just not data available or at least not data available in a consolidated way right despite the fact a lot of organizations are interested in different pieces of the process so the first step was just to, to bring together some facts about the state of the industry, the, who are the competitors? Where are they? Where do they participate? Do they make money? Uh, what kind of revenue flow can you expect? What's the funding structure? And so we we focused on that first, and then we spent some time uh, interviewing people and talking with other uh, participants in the industry to try to get a sense for. What some of the uh, concerns were that arise from those factors and also what are some of the innovative ways in which people have responded and tried to do better. So what are some of the
1: the things that that other people have as major concerns right now about the voting industry and the system here in the United States?
0: Well, the concerns depend on who you're talking to. So the the folks who are voting are concerned about the fact that there are long lines. It's operationally poor. And they're concerned that their vote's not being properly counted. So there's a set of of folks there. The election officials are just worried that they're not going to be able to run a smooth process, that the technology is antiquated. It tends to break down at the wrong time. They're not comfortable that they're able to pull it off as effectively as they would like. And they'd like to move forward, but they don't know quite how. And then finally, from the perspective of the industry, it's an industry that is what looks like difficult to make money in. And so the folks have, yeah. who are trying to think about how to move the industry forward have this trade-off between an industry that doesn't have a lot of stable revenue coming in from the outside. Every time something gets replaced, it ha- right. you have to fight for the money, and so they they want to invest in, in providing this new technology. At the same time, they're heavily cost constrained, both by the fact that they're um, well and and revenue constrained because there's. Uh, not the stable funding stream, plus there's a very large car- cost structure associated with innovation to get uh, systems certified and in production that could take you know, years and cost millions of dollars.
1: So it, it appears from looking at the reporting, Matt, that that right now there are obviously a variety of companies that are involved in this, but there's really three main companies that are kind of the overarching, they control a majority of the market right now, Correct.
2: Yeah, that, that's correct. Um, well, as Lauren said, it's very hard to get data on this uh, market, and much of it is because of how small it is. Right. Uh, previous reports by Caltech and IMT, MIT have estimated that it's only 300 to 350 million per year. And while that sounds like a lot of money compared to what other industries, most consulting agencies operate in, it's peanuts. So right. we really had to. Uh, we we had to make estimates on revenue based on voter reach. So we t- tried to look at the technology that's in different counties across the country, see how many voters they reached, and then estimate revenue on that basis. And on that basis, we found that three companies uh, reach over ninety-two percent of voters. Right. Uh, with one of the companies re- reaching nearly uh, half of them, uh, so it really is a concentrated market.
1: And, and there's a uh, there's a geographic element to the companies that are involved in this as well, correct?
2: Yes. Uh, we don't analyze that much in the report, but one hypothesis is that a lot of states and counties look to neighboring states and counties to see, all right, what is the technology they're using? Right. Um, right. Because one of the problems that we we address in the report is uh, switching costs. So if you're only buying election technology every 10 years... You you unless you have a veteran who's been there a decade and a half who's actually bought it before it's sort of a new process to you and and part of the the best uh, heuristic that people use is sort of neighboring states
1: and, and I guess that's one of the other big issues right now is the fact that we're talking about a system that that changes from state to state for the most part and a lot of people continue to wonder you know is this a is this an industry that could potentially at some point. We get to the point where we have one system that is able to handle all 50 states. Is that realistically a possibility down the road? I mean,
2: not obviously not now, but down the road. Sure. Um, uh, so we talk about the regulatory environment. And one of the issues with that idea, which a lot of people have sympathy towards, is federalist concern. So. States are typically delegated these um, these responsibilities. Now, we do have a federal commission called the Election Assistance Commission, yeah. which is actually under fire right now in Congress and has been for a decade, um, especially by conservatives who try to offer um, voluntary voting system guidelines that states can choose to adopt or not adopt. Right. They certified laboratories that people can test in. Uh, but really, that's the you know, extent to which we can have that much of a centralized system. It's fundamentally the states who sign on.
0: Lauren? Uh, Yeah. I mean, this is a problem that was solved in corporate information systems decades ago, where they discovered that you could build packaged software systems and implementation practices where one system could serve a very large number of companies in different ways. I think the market is, is potentially moving in that direction. But at the same time, you have a lot of different demands from different jurisdictions. It's surprising how uh, concerned people are about voting in their own particular way and you've got right. certain jurisdictions that have multilingual voting and a lot of specialized uh, requirements so it may take a while to get to that point but the idea would be a limited number of very broad customizable systems should be available I mean that's the way more, most corporate IT works right now
1: Matt mentioned before the the, the problem with uh, with machines that, that are failing or have uh, have
0: need of repairs how significant of a problem is that right now in the United States? Uh, it's it's unfortunately a, a fairly significant uh, problem right at this very moment, mainly because of the structure of the way funding has worked. So after the Hanging Chad problem, there was uh, an influx of money. About $3 billion was allocated to states, and that was spent on modernizing the systems. Right. These systems have about a 10 to 20-year life, with the average life is about 15 years. We're sitting right on the point where these systems are becoming obsolete. Right. And as a result, the, they're going to have to be repaired and, and or modified or maintained and a lot of the technology that went into these systems is simply no longer available especially now that it's more reliant on computers but have
1: all 50 states upgraded their systems within the last 10 to 15 years matt
2: no, no. um so there's one thing to say that some states have sort of centralized this acquisition process such as new mexico right has sort of made appropriations and bought new voting machines um, for all their counties but some of these um, many of these counties buy on a county-based level So even if you find a state where a bunch of the counties have found the money to buy new technology, uh, many haven't. And we really rely uh, heavily on uh, the Brendan Center report that that attacks the specific issue that outlines this crisis.
1: We're joined here in the studio uh, by uh, Wharton uh, Professor Lauren Hitt and also uh, Matthew Caulfield, who's a PhD student. We're talking about the reporting they did about the business of voting. Your comments welcome at 844 wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. or again, if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter and we'll bring it up on the show either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So these these coalitions, uh, as you refer to them in the in the reporting, how how prevalent are they across the United States right now?
2: It, it's hard to say. Um, we, from our experience, it would seem not prevalent, but we can't say that definitively. Right. It's really just a way that uh, so counties have banded together in certain instances when they have common needs. Um, in order to deal with the current market, to get features that they couldn't otherwise get on their own. So the yeah. the case we profile in, in the report are three counties in Florida where they need multilingual voting, and the current options provided to them simply didn't offer um, that option at, at a cheap price, so they got together and tried to buy a. Uh, Uh, Form a buyer coalition. And that really worked out for them.
1: And and obviously, when you're talking about a country like the United States, when you have so many different people from so many different ethnic backgrounds here in this country, it's not just, you know, needing Latin, you, you need Russian, you know, all kinds of different languages for people to be able to vote when they move here to the United States.
0: Uh, that's right. It's, it's the larger jurisdictions face a large number of these kinds of problems, especially the, the languages, as well as the fact that they get very large ballot lists, and this combination makes their requirements very different than standard. And that's what's been some of the challenges finding. A technology vendor willing to invest in serving their specific needs that are different than, than say, the needs of a smaller jurisdiction. So then,
1: what what's the state of innovation in, in this industry? Because obviously, as as we move along here, new systems are going to be need, needed, as you both have mentioned, upgrades are going to be needed. So you're going to need to have a level of innovation in this industry, just like you would in, in a variety of different
0: industries across the U.S right so there's there's this sort of regular progress of of companies trying and implementing sort of upgrades and and uh, extensions of their existing systems, and that's been the way the industry has kind of ambled along with small amounts of innovation over time. right There's a few models that people are pursuing now in particular there's a fair amount of interest in open source technology, especially um, uh, software side, that would enable them to take advantage of a common operating system and then use off the shelf hardware and that's The hope is is that we'd be able to bring costs down and make it more available if you had a combination of open source software and off-the-shelf hardware. And so there are people interested in pushing in that direction, some coalitions trying to to, uh, to pursue that strategy, as well as some outside uh, parties who are trying to make a business out of doing so. I guess to a degree, Matthew, that, that this is something, and I think you kind of alluded to it before, that,
1: you have people in these systems and in these states that run these uh, these voting systems that have been in there for a little while, and and they have a level of comfort with a particular system, and they have a level of success with a particular system, and they don't necessarily want to, for lack of a better term, want to rock the boat. Correct.
2: Yes, some uh, officials may not even see that there is a crisis um, in election technology. Um, they. But they're also disempowered in certain ways. So one is funding, which we've already alluded to. The other way is the current regulatory structure of the state. Um, So we talk about uh, how... Traditionally, these so we're really worried about voting machines, right? We want them to be certified to very high standards. Sure, yeah. But this makes innovation somewhat difficult. So you could innovate this whole new system, apply for certification, all of a sudden that's not certified, and you're millions of dollars in the hole. Right. And also, the the model of certification in many states has traditionally been a monolithic system. So you get a single, um, self-contained system, and you certify or not certify that. These moves to having off-the-shelf technology incorporated with sort of a common software base while it works in, in worked in many other industries and this industry presents a problem for the certification system cuz i can certify a certain piece of off the shelf technology right. but once i put it together with the rest of the system
1: then you have to redo it exactly, again exactly right? there
2: might be a whole a different issue there and so uh, structures for certification also need to sort of accommodate this innovative spirit am- among many officials
1: so then what what do you think is is the solution? is there a it's hard to say. Is there an easy solution? But obviously, I, I don't think there is with with this type of a massive type of, of of entity here. But is there a kind of a pattern towards
0: towards a solution right now, Lauren? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a, a number of initiatives that could come together to solve at least pieces of the problem. Maybe over offer an overall solution. One is the increased uh, interoperability standards of these technologies. The, most of the stand, most of the technologies in use today aren't interoperable, right. and folks like the Elect, Election Assistance Corporation or NIST are trying to come up with interoperability. Standards and that will certainly help. Um, an open source foundation for these technologies might also help uh, to solve some of the problems. And uh, as just finding a stable funding stream that encourages people to, to make these investments and to, to actually spend money on innovating and a process on the other side that gets these things certified and in, into production faster right. would combine together to sh- to increase the rate of innovation significantly.
1: But how prevalent is that is that level of innovation and how how frequent are people coming in thinking about ways to be able to adjust and and tweak these systems to make them more operable uh, you know across various
0: platforms? I think there's there's less of that from the existing industry, mainly because they're used to working in the regulatory framework they have to work with, where right. innovation is, is somewhat penalized. Right. Um, but there are a number of outside firms, and it wouldn't be surprising if they would switch over. It was If it was easier, for example, to get a, a system certified, you'd see more innovation from the existing industry. Right. And then there's a number of outside organizations coming in and trying to offer either an open source solution or pieces of the solution that could potentially be part of a broader system.
1: Matt, uh, potential solutions that you see?
2: Sure. Uh, I, I sort of, um, I, I recognize Lauren's point. I think what we really do need is, is a paradigm shift. Um, so sort of the entrance of whether it's open source technology or some way to accommodate these modular technologies that you're able to pick together. You know, a lot of people say, why can't I just vote on an iPad? What's the problem here? Um, and there there are various problems. Number one, the, the huge problem is security. So throughout this whole process, We want to ensure that elections are verifiable. And this has garnered support among many election technology experts for generating a paper record. So we don't want it all on a software because if there's tampering or changing the votes, we don't have a paper record to sort of compare and and verify whether there's actually been an issue, um, a security issue with the votes that's come out. And so we also while we while we may criticize a little bit the certification standards we also want them to be very high
1: right well it is interesting though that you know as as far as we've come in this in this industry that paper still is a a relatively important component to making sure how this process plays out you know obviously after 2000 a lot of people are saying why are
2: we using paper to begin with but that's not the case Right, so uh, you could use paper without using paper to actually count the votes. Right. So the the biggest, one of the biggest innovations, are statistical methods that allow us to look at a state or a county, look at only a selection of the paper votes, just a, a small sample, and say, you know, we are statistically confident that the outcome of this election was correct. They don't need right. to verify the count, just the outcome of the collection, uh, the election. And in many cases, there's enough of a disparity that counting a lot of the ballots don't, uh, isn't really that important.
1: 844 Wharton is the number if you'd like to join in and ask a question of our guests. uh, Wharton Professor Lauren Hitt, also uh, Matthew Caulfield, who's a Ph.D. student here at the university. 844-942-7866. We're talking about the business of voting and the voting process here in the United States. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. So the the companies that are involved in this process right now, and... and I believe I saw this from the from the reporting that you did, that actually those three main companies, there's been a, a level of consolidation within that uh, of them taking over smaller entities to try and bring
0: forth even even a stronger purpose. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so what's what's been happening is whenever funding comes in or, or a new innovation pops up, you'll often see a regional competitor appear, maybe getting funding or, or uh, attracting interest in a particular state. Uh, soon thereafter, as soon as the funding dries up or after they get their innovation in place, one of the larger competitors will typically acquire them to to expand their geographic footprint. Right. And you can kind of watch it happen over time that, you know, a number of people entered in, in uh, 2002-ish timeframe over that uh, that that period. And then they were subsequently acquired by one of the major players, which is how you wind up with 92% of, of voters being covered by three firms.
1: Matthew?
2: Yeah. And in the 2000s, we had issues with one, a large firm becoming insolvent being bought by the largest firm in the country, Election Systems and Software. And then there was an antitrust case. So there's this worry from the DOJ, and they're actually forced to divest. So, But what happened is that firm that was divested from the largest firm just went to the second largest firm. and still we, So we still had the same sort of distribution of these three large companies.
1: Uh, the expectation, though, for, for this industry going forward is – Is what? Increased innovation, new systems that will come forward, and eventually at some point we will have a a more uniform system?
2: Yes. I think what will be the path forward is, number one, people recognize that a crisis has happened. There's a lot of people who are very good um, researchers here who are just trying to convince people that it's worth it to spend public money on election technology, whether it's county money, state money, federal money, um, but we also recognize in the report that the uh, you know the solution is not just throwing money at it, right? We have to throw smart money at it, right? Uh, and so I think a, a lot of people's intuitions are going towards the right way. Why can't I just use an iPad, right? So it's more of an idea of why can't we just use the same nuts and bolts that my really cheap. Uh, you know, uh, parts seller sells. Right. Why are we spending so much money on developing voting systems? So trying to find a way to do that. And there's multiple avenues we can take to in a secure way that lowers costs and makes it easier for people across the counties to replace voting machines is the best way.
1: Obviously, the technology part of this, Lauren, is something that can be a, a huge benefit for the future of voting but i would think also that it could present some uh, some issues in the fact that technology is always seemingly changing and you know you make that big investment in that next level of technology well something new is going to be coming along 5 10 years after that and then you need to reinvest again
0: no, I think that that's, a, that's the right insight. That's actually what's got us to this point in the first place, is we started deploying technology with a limited useful life, and that the combination of that and the limited funding meant that we we took these technologies that should last three, five, eight years, and have tried to keep them going forever. Right. As we move to putting in more technology, the solution is to use off-the-shelf technology, which is relatively inexpensive, has relatively short um, shorter life, but has a Ah, uh, replace it's basically pro- replaceable. You can replace components. You can you can upgrade. You can buy additional pieces that fit into a system, right. rather than having a system that comes together, works entirely together until it completely fails and you can't replace the parts at all, and then the whole thing falls apart. So the idea of moving to technology that can be slowly replaced in a modular way is one of the ways you can move forward and solve that problem. Is the regulatory
1: issue one that really needs to be tackled at the state level? because of how so much of voting in this country is kind of based off of the state level or off the local level,
2: more so than at the federal level? Is that the case? Well, the way it's structured right now is that actually a lot of states, although it's a state level issue, recruit either testing guidelines or use uh, from the federal government or use a vol- a voluntary, uh, or excuse me, uh, testing labs that have been certified from the federal government. So if there is a change in uh, Election Assistance Commission policy, mm-hmm. that can have a lot of sort of ripple effects across the country in, the, in terms of the way states actually certify and test their te- their technology.
1: But, I mean, you talked about how uh, the, the we're in a situation right now where one county will use a system and it's almost like a word of mouth that, and the next county will pick that up. Is that happening more at the state level as well? Because I would think if you have some uniformity between states, that obviously
2: would help the process as well. Sure, sure. So some of it is just search costs, right? So a, a county does not have that many resources or time or people to dedicate or even expertise to dedicate to find the right election technology, whereas a right. state might have a, you know, a, a technologists who have either resources in, the, in this field or know people who do um, who can really find the right answer for their state.
0: Lauren? Yeah, and the is- the issue is always with uh, a lot of these smaller jurisdictions. This is not their day job. This you know this is something that comes up every couple of years or every right. year where they get involved, and they're not IT professionals. They can't make these kinds of decisions. So um, some of them can, but um, they're not always there for from period to period. So they may be there one year and not there. A different crowd is there the next year, and so having uh, organizations and structures that have some continuity and bring it up to a higher level where they can afford to invest. Uh, is is potentially helpful. States can do that, or coalitions can do it, where they have enough resources. You know, where they have millions of voters they're supporting and can have an infrastructure.
1: But is it even surprising to you, going through this and and working with your students and putting this this research together, that because this is, as you said, it, it voting comes up every couple of years, that there isn't more thought put into we need to look long term we need to you know be able to have a system that works properly and we don't have to keep coming back to this issue every 5 years every 10 years whatever it may be uh,
0: there yeah, i think there's there's a lot of people who do take the long long view with okay. this. Unfortunately, they're not always the, the decision makers who actually have to decide what systems are deployed on the local level. This right. is an unusual industry where you have, may have as many as 10,000 individual decision makers, the county election officials, making these decisions. Yeah. And so, uh, some, and they rely on these outside sources to a greater and lesser extent. So there are folks who are trying to... Uh, find a path forward in various kinds of ways, but ultimately the decision makers who are deploying these systems um, have a fair amount of say in it, and there's lots of them, and they have a lot of, they have both variety of preferences and and knowledge, which um, is making it challenging.
1: You mentioned uh, the profitability of this industry, which I guess to a degree is somewhat, and it's another one of those unknowns right now, correct?
2: Yes, uh, even after our year of trying to find data, we found very limited data. Uh, it's hard to extract from vendors, sort of, you know, they don't want to give up their balance sheets. A lot of them either are held as subsidies of public com- corporations where you can't get their financials or are just privately held by a private equity firm. Um, and so, yeah, we really don't know how much money they make, but we we're, we're pretty sure that they don't make a lot. Um, because you don't see entrepreneurs hopping into the voting technology industry these days. It's not like uh, other IT sectors where there's money to be made or demand to be increased.
1: Because realistically, whatever level of profitability there is,
0: it comes from the contract that they have with the state or or with the local election board, correct? Yeah, it's it's totally dictated by public funding, whether that public funding is coming locally or from some kind of national fund like HAVA was. Uh, And so they're constrained on the revenue side. You can imagine... In, in steady state as the industry goes along, most of their revenue is most is replacement and repair and operations. Yeah, You could see the industry growing fairly dramatically if there was an influx of funds to replace these systems. And that's the, the big variable, which could you know fundamentally change the industry. If people started replacing these systems at a rapid pace, that might fundamentally change the profitability. Great to
1: have you both here. Thank you very much for coming in. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks. thanks. Matt, Matt, thanks Matthew well, Caulfield, you. Lauren Hitt here from the
0: Wharton School.